Section 17 of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 6. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 6, by various authors. Section 17. Marjorie Fleming, From Spare Hours, by John Brown. Part 2. There was an old servant, Jeanie Robertson, who was forty years in her grandfather's family, Marjorie Fleming, or as she is called in the letters and by Sir Walter, Maidie, was the last child she kept. Jeanie's wages never exceeded three pounds a year, and when she left service she had saved forty pounds. She was devotedly attached to Maidie, rather despising and ill-using her sister Isabella, a beautiful and gentle child. This partiality made Maidie apt at times to domineer over Isabella. I mention this, writes her surviving sister, for the purpose of telling you an instance of Maidie's generous justice. When only five years old, when walking in wraith grounds, the two children had run on before, and old Jeanie remembered they might come too near a dangerous mill-laid. She called them to turn back. Maidie heeded her not, rushed all the faster on, and fell, and would have been lost, had her sister not pulled her back, saving her life, but tearing her clothes. Jeanie flew on Isabella to give it her for spoiling her favorite dress. Maidie rushed in between, crying out, Pay, whip, Maidie, as much as you like, and I'll not say one word, but touch Izzy and I'll roar like a bull. Years after Maidie was resting in her grave, my mother used to take me to the place and told the story always in the exact same words. This Jeanie must have been a character. She took great pride in exhibiting Maidie's brother, William's Calvinistic acquirements, when nineteen months old, to the officers of a militia regiment then quartered in Kirkcaldy. This performance was so amusing that it was often repeated, and the little theologian was presented by them with a cap and feathers. Jeanie's glory was putting him through the carriage, catechism, in broad scotch, beginning at the beginning with, Wameji, may bonnie man. For the correctness of this, and the three next replies, Jeanie had no anxiety. But the tone changed to menace, and the closed, neve, fist, was shaken in the child's face as she demanded, Of what are you made? Dirt, was the answer uniformly given. Will ye never learn to say dust, ye thrain devil, with a cuff from the opened hand, was the as inevitable rejoinder. Here is Maidie's first letter, before she was six, the spelling unaltered, and there are no comos. My dear Isa, I now sit down to answer all your kind and beloved letters which you were so good as to write me. This is the first time I ever wrote a letter in my life. There are a great many girls in the square, and they cry just like a pig when we are under the painful necessity of putting it to death. Miss Potoon, a lady of my acquaintance, praises me dreadfully. I repeated something of Dean Swift, and she said I was fit for the stage, and you may think I was primmed up with the majestic pride, but upon my word I felt myself turn a little Beersey. Beersey is a word which is a word that William composed, which is, as you may suppose, a little enraged. This horrid fat simpleton says that my aunt is beautiful, which is entirely impossible, for that is not her nature. What a peppery little pen we wield! What could that have been out of the sardonic dean? What other child of that age would have used beloved as she does? This power of affection, this faculty of be-loving, 
and the wild hunger to be beloved comes out more and more she periled her all upon it and it may have been as well we know indeed that it was far better for her that this wealth of love was so soon withdrawn to its one only infinite giver and receiver this must have been the law of her earthly life love was indeed her lord and king and it was perhaps well for her that she found so soon that her and our only lord and king himself is love here are bits from her diary at brayhead the day of my existence here has been delightful and enchanting on saturday i expected no less than three well-made bucks the names of whom is here advertised mr george craigie craigie and william keith and john keith the first is the funniest of every one of them mr craigie and i walked to craigie hall craigie hall hand in hand in innocence and meditation meditation sweet thinking on the kind love which flows in our tender-hearted mind which is overflowing with majestic pleasure no one was ever so polite to me in the whole state of my existence mr cracky you must know is a great buck and pretty good-looking i am at ravelston enjoying nature's fresh air the birds are singing sweetly the calf doth frisk and nature shows her glorious face here is a confession i confess i have been very more like a little girl devil than a creature for when isabella went upstairs to teach me religion and my multiplication and to be good and all my other lessons i stamped with my foot and threw my new hat which she had made on the ground and was sulky and was dreadfully passionate but she never whipped me but said marjorie go into another room and think what a great crime you are committing letting your temper get the better of you but i went so sulkily that the devil got the better of me but she never never whips me so that i think i would be the better of it and the next time that i behave ill i think she should do it for she never does it isabella has given me praise for checking my temper for i was sulky even when she was kneeling a whole hour teaching me to write our poor little whiffy she has no doubts of the personality of the devil yesterday i behave extremely ill in god's most holy church for i would never attend myself nor let isabella attend which was a great crime for she often often tells me that when two or three are gathered together god is in the midst of them and it was the very same devil that tempted job that tempted me i am sure but he resisted satan though he had boils and many other misfortunes which i have escaped i am now going to tell you the horrible and wretched plague that my multiplication gives me you can't conceive it the most devilish thing is eight times eight and seven times seven it is what nature itself can't endure this is delicious and what harm is there in her devilish it is strong language merely even old roland hill used to say he grudged the devil those rough and ready words i walked to that delightful place craky hall with a delightful young man beloved by all his friends especially by me his loveress but i must not talk any more about him for isa said it is not proper to speak of a gentleman but i will never forget him i am very very glad that satan has not given me boils and many other misfortunes in the holy bible these words are written that the devil goes like a roaring lion in search of his prey but the lord lets us escape from him but we pauvre petite do not strive with this awful spirit to-day i pronounced a word which should never come out of a lady's lips it was that i called john an impudent bitch 
I will tell you what I think made me in so bad a humor, is I got one or two of that bad senna, senna, tea today. A better excuse for bad humor and bad language than most. She had been reading the book of Esther. It was a dreadful thing that Haman was hanged on the very gallows which he had prepared for Mordecai to hang him and his ten sons thereon, and it was very wrong and cruel to hang his sons, for they did not commit the crime, but then Jesus was not then come to teach us to be merciful. This is wise and beautiful. It has upon it the very dew of youth and holiness. Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings he perfects his praise. This is Saturday, and I am very glad of it, because I have play half the day, and I get money, too, but alas I owe Isabella four pence, and I am finned two pence whenever I bite my nails. Isabella is teaching me to make semi-cooling knots of interrogations, periods, comos, etc. As this is Sunday, I will meditate upon sensible and religious subjects. First, I should be very thankful I am not a beggar. This amount of meditation and thankfulness seems to have been all she was able for. I am going tomorrow to a delightful place, Brayhead by name, belonging to Mrs. Crawford, where there is ducks, cocks, hens, bubbly jocks, two dogs, two cats, and swine, which is delightful. I think it is shocking to think that the dog and cat should bear them. This is a meditation, physiological. And they are drowned, after all. I would rather have a man-dog than a woman-dog, because they do not bear like woman-dogs. It is a hard case. It is shocking. I came here to enjoy nature's delightful breath. It is sweeter than a file of rose oil. Brayhead is the farm the historical Jock Howison asked and got from our gay James V, the Grundman o Ballengrich, as a reward for the services of his flail when the king had the worst of it at Cramond Brig with the gypsies. The farm is unchanged in size from that time, and still in the unbroken line of the ready and victorious thrasher. Brayhead is held on the condition of the possessor being ready to present the king with an ewer and basin to wash his hands, Jock having done this for his unknown king after the splore. And when George the Fourth came to Edinburgh, this ceremony was performed in silver at Holyrood. It is a lovely nook, this Brayhead, preserved almost as it was two hundred years ago. Lot and his wife, mentioned by Maddie, two quaintly cropped yew-trees, still thrive, the burn runs as it did in her time, and sings the same quiet tune, as much the same and as different as now and then. The house is full of old family relics and pictures, the sun shining on them through the small deep windows with their plate glass, and their blinking at the sun and chattering contentedly is a parrot that might, for its looks of eld, have been in the ark, and domineered over and deaved the dove. Everything about the place is old and fresh." This is beautiful. I am very sorry to say that I forgot God, that is to say, I forgot to pray today, and Isabella told me that I should be thankful that God did not forget me. If he did, oh, what would become of me if I was in danger, and God not friends with me? I must go to unquenchable fire, and if I was tempted to sin, how could I resist it? Oh, no, I will never do it again. No, no, if I can help it. Canny wee wiffy. My religion is greatly falling off because I don't pray with so much attention when I am saying my prayers, and my character is lost among the Brayhead people. I hope I will be religious again, 
but as for regaining my character, I despair for it. Poor little habit and repute. Her temper, her passion, and her badness are almost daily confessed and deplored. I will never again trust in my own power, for I see that I cannot be good without God's assistance. I will not trust in my own self, and Isa's health will be quite ruined by me. It will indeed. Isa has given me advice, which is, that when I feel Satan beginning to tempt me, that I flee him, and he would flee me. Remorse is the worst thing to bear, and I am afraid that I will fall a martyr to it. Poor dear little sinner! Here comes the world again. In my travels I met with a handsome lad named Charles Balfour Esquire, and from him I got offers of marriage. Offers of marriage, did I say? Nay, plenty heard me. A fine scent for breach of promise. This is abrupt and strong. The devil is cursed and all works. Tis a fine work, Newton on the prophecies. I wonder if there is another book of poems comes near the Bible. The devil always grins at the sight of the Bible. Miss Portune, her simpleton friend, is very fat. She pretends to be very learned. She says she saw a stone that dropped from the skies, but she is a good Christian. Here comes her views on church government. An Anabaptist is a thing I am not a member of. I am a Peslican, Episcopalian, just now, and, O oh, you little Laodicean, and Latitudinarian, a Presbyterian at Kirkcaldy, Blandula, Vagula, Colum et animum mutas coe trans mare, i.e., trans bodotirium, curis, my native town. Sentiment is not what I am acquainted with as yet, though I wish it, and should like to practice it. I wish I had a great, great deal of gratitude in my heart, in all my body. There is a new novel published named Self-Control, Mrs. Burton's, a very good maxim forsooth. This is shocking. Yesterday a married man, named Mr. John Balfour, Esquire, offered to kiss me, and offered to marry me, though the man, a fine directness this, was espoused, and his wife was present, and said he must ask her permission, but he did not. I think he was ashamed and confounded before three gentlemen, Mr. Jobson and two Mr. Kings. Mr. Bannister's, Bannister's, budget is to-night. I hope it will be a good one. A great many authors have expressed themselves too sentimentally. You are right, Marjorie. A Mr. Burns writes a beautiful song on Mr. Cunhamming, whose wife deserted him. Truly, it is a most beautiful one. I like to read the fabulous histories about the history of Robin, Dickie, Flapsay, and Piquet, and it is very amusing, for some were good birds and others bad, but Piquet was the most dutiful and obedient to her parents. Thompson is a beautiful author, and Pope, but nothing to Shakespeare, of which I have little knowledge. Macbeth is a pretty composition, but awful one. The Newgate calendar is very instructive. A sailor called here to say farewell. It must be dreadful to leave his native country when he might get a wife, or perhaps me, for I love him very much. But, oh, I forgot, Isabella forbid me to speak about love. This antiphlogistic regimen and lesson is ill to learn by our Maddie, for here she sins again. Love is a very pathetic thing. It is almost a pity to correct this too pathetic as well as troublesome and tiresome, but, oh, Isabella, forbid me to speak of it. 
Here are her reflections on a pineapple. I think the price of pineapple is very dear. It is a whole bright golden guinea that might have sustained a poor family. Here is a new vernal simile. The hedges are sprouting like chicks from the eggs when they are newly hatched or, as the vulgar say, clacked. Dr. Swift's works are very funny. I got some of them by heart. Moorhead's sermons are I hear much praised, but I never read sermons of any kind. But I read novelettes and my Bible, and I never forget it, or my prayers. Brava, Marjorie. She seems now, when still about six, to have broken out into song. Ephibol, epigram or epitaph, who knows which, on my dear love, Isabella. Here lies sweet Isabel in bed, with a nightcap on her head. Her skin is soft, her face is fair, and she has very pretty hair. She and I, in bed lies nice, and undisturbed by rats or mice. She is disgusted with Mr. Worgan, though he plays upon the organ. Her nails are neat, her teeth are white, her eyes are very, very bright. In a conspicuous town she lives, and to the poor her money gives. Here ends sweet Isabella's story, and may it be much to her glory. Here are some bits at random. Of summer I am very fond, and love to bathe into a pond. The look of sunshine dies away, and will not let me out to play. I love the morning's sun to spy, glittering through the casement's eye. The rays of light are very sweet, and puts away the taste of meat. The balmy breeze comes down from heaven, and makes us like to be for living. The causawary is a curious bird, and so is the gigantic crane, and the pelican of the wilderness, whose mouth holds a bucket of fish and water. Fighting is what ladies is not qualified for. They would not make a good figure in a battle or in a duel. Alas, we females are of little use to our country. The history of the malcontents as ever was hanged is amusing. Still harping on the Newgate calendar. Brayhead is extremely pleasant to me, by the company of swine, geese, cocks, etc., and they are the delight of my soul. I am going to tell you of a melancholy story. A young turkey of two or three months old, would you believe it, the father broke its leg, and he killed another. I think he ought to be transported or hanged. Queen Street is a very gay one, and so is Prince's Street, for all the lads and lasses, besides bucks and beggars, parade there. I should like to see a play very much, for I never saw one in all my life, and don't believe I ever shall, but I hope I can be content without going to one. I can be quite happy without my desire being granted. Some days ago Isabella had a terrible fit of the toothache, and she walked with a long night shift at dead of night like a ghost, and I thought she was one. She prayed for nature's sweet restorer, balmy sleep, but did not get it. A ghostly figure indeed she was, enough to make a saint tremble. It made me quiver and shake from top to toe. Superstition is a very mean thing, and should be despised and shunned. Here is her weakness and her strength again. In the love novels, all the heroines are very desperate. Isabella will not allow me to speak about lovers and heroines, and tis too refined for my taste. Miss Edwards, Edgeworth's tales are very good, particularly some that are not very much adapted for youth, as Laz Lawrence and Tarleton, False Keys, etc., etc. Tom Jones and Gray's Elegy in a Country Churchyard are both excellent, and much spoke of by both sects, particularly by the men. 
are our marjories nowadays better or worse because they cannot read tom jones unharmed more better than worse but who among them can repeat gray's lines on a distant prospect of eton college as could our maidy here is some more of her prattle i went into isabella's bed to make her smile like the genius de medicus the venus de medicis or the statue in an ancient greece but she fell asleep on my very face at which my anger broke forth so that i awoke her from a comfortable nap all was now hushed up again but again my anger burst forth at her bidding me get up she begins thus loftily death the righteous love to see but from it doth the wicked flee then suddenly breaks off as with laughter i am sure they fly as fast as their legs can carry them there is a thing i love to see that is our monkey catch a flea i love in isa's bed to lie oh such a joy and luxury the bottom of the bed i sleep and with great care within i creep oft i embrace her feet of lilies but she has gotten all the pillies her neck i never can embrace but i do hug her feet in place how childish and yet how strong and free is her use of words i lay at the foot of the bed because isabella said i disturbed her by continually fighting and kicking but i was very dull and continually at work reading the arabian nights which i could not have done if i had slept at the top i am reading the mysteries of udolpho i am much interested in the fate of poor poor emily here is one of her swains very soft and white his cheeks his hair is red and gray his breeks his tooth is like the daisy fair his only fault is in his hair this is a higher flight dedicated to mrs h crawford by the author m f three turkeys fair their last have breathed and now this world for ever leaved their father and their mother too they sigh and weep as well as you indeed the rats their bones have crunched into eternity there launched a direful death indeed they had as was put any parent mad but she was more than usual calm she did not give a single damn this last word is saved from all sin by its tender age not to speak of the want of the n we fear she is the abandoned mother in spite of her previous sighs and tears isabella says when we pray we should pray fervently and not rattle over a prayer for that we are kneeling at the footstool of our lord and creator who saves us from eternal damnation and from unquestionable fire and brimstone she has a long poem on mary queen of scots queen mary was much loved by all both by the great and by the small but hark her soul to heaven doth rise and i suppose she has gained a prize for i do think she would not go into the awful place below there is a thing that i must tell elizabeth went to fire and hell he who would teach her to be civil it must be her great friend the devil she hits off darnley well a noble's son a handsome lad by some queer way or other had got quite the better of her heart with him she always talked apart silly was he but very fair a greater buck was not found there by some queer way or other is not this the general case and the mystery young ladies and gentlemen goethe's doctrine of elective affinities discovered by our pet maddie a sonnet to a monkey 
o lively o most charming pug thy graceful air and heavenly mug the beauties of his mind do shine and every bit is shaped and fine your teeth are whiter than the snow you're a great buck you're a great bow your eyes are of so nice a shape more like a christian's than an ape your cheek is like the rose's bloom your hair is like the raven's plume his nose's cast is of the roman he is a very pretty woman i could not get a rhyme for roman so was obliged to call him woman this last joke is good she repeats it when writing of james the second being killed at roxburg he was killed by a cannon splinter quite in the middle of the winter perhaps it was not at that time but i can get no other rhyme here is one of her last letters dated kirkcaldy twelfth october eighteen eleven you can see how her nature is deepening and enriching my dear mother you will think that i entirely forgot you but i assure you that you are greatly mistaken i think of you always and often sigh to think of the distance between us two loving creatures of nature we have regular hours for all our occupations first at seven o'clock we go to the dancing and come home at eight we then read our bible and get to our repeating and then play till ten then we get our music till eleven when we get our writing and accounts we sew from twelve till one after which i get my grammar and then work till five at seven we come and knit till eight when we don't go to the dancing this is an exact description i must take a hasty farewell to her whom i love reverence and dote on and who i hope thinks the same of marjorie fleming p s an old pack of cards would be very acceptable my dear little mamma i was truly happy to hear that you were all well we are surrounded with measles at present on every side for the herons got it and isabella heron was near death's door and one night her father lifted her out of bed and she fell down as they thought lifeless mr heron said that lassie's deed no i'm no deed yet she then threw up a big worm nine inches and a half long i have begun dancing but am not very fond of it for the boys strikes and mocks me i have been another night at the dancing i like it better i will write to you as often as i can but i am afraid not every week i long for you with the longings of a child to embrace you to fold you in my arms i respect you with all the respect due a mother you don't know how i love you so i shall remain your loving child m fleming what rich involution of love in the words marked here are some lines to her beloved isabella in july eighteen eleven there is a thing that i do want with you these beauteous walks to haunt we would be happy if you would try to come over if you could then i would all quite happy be now and for all eternity my mother is so very sweet and checks my appetite to eat my father shows us what to do but oh i'm sure that i want you i have no more of poetry oh isa do remember me and try to love your marjorie in a letter from isa to miss muff maddie marjorie fleming favored by rare rear admiral fleming she says i long much to see you and talk over all our old stories together and to hear you read and repeat i am pining for my old friend cesario and poor lear and wicked richard how is the dear multiplication table going on are you still as much attached to nine times nine as you used to be but this dainty bright thing is about to flee to come quick to confusion the measles she writes of seized her and she died on the nineteenth of december eighteen eleven 
the day before her death sunday she sat up in bed worn and thin her eye gleaming as with the light of a coming world and with a tremulous old voice repeated the lines by burns heavy with the shadow of death and lit with the fantasy of the judgment seat the publican's prayer in paraphrase why am i loath to leave this earthly scene it is more affecting than we care to say to read her mother's and isabel keith's letters written immediately after her death old and withered tattered and pale they are now but when you read them how quick how throbbing with life and love how rich in that language of affection which only women and shakespeare and luther can use that power of detaining the soul over the beloved object of its loss in her first letter to miss keith mrs fleming says of her dead mattie never did i behold so beautiful an object it resembled the finest waxwork there was in the countenance an expression of sweetness and serenity which seemed to indicate that the pure spirit had anticipated the joys of heaven ere it quitted the mortal frame to tell you what your mattie said of you would fill volumes for you were the constant theme of her discourse the subject of her thoughts and the ruler of her actions the last time she mentioned you was a few hours before all sense save that of suffering was suspended and when she said to dr johnstone if you will let me out at the new year i will be quite contented i asked her what made her so anxious to get out then i went to purchase a new year's gift for isa keith with the sixpence you gave me for being patient in the measles and i would like to choose it myself i do not remember her speaking afterwards except to complain of her head till just before she expired when she articulated o oh, mother mother do we make too much of this little child who has been in her grave in abbot's hall kirkyard these fifty and more years we may of her cleverness not of her affectionateness her nature what a picture of the animosa infans gives us of herself her vivacity her passionateness her precocious love-making her passion for nature for swine for all living things her reading her turn for expression her satire her frankness her little sins and rages her great repentances we don't wonder walter scott carried her off in the nook of his plaid and played himself with her for hours we are indebted for the following and our readers will not be unwilling to share our obligations to her sister her birth was fifteenth january eighteen o three her death nineteenth december eighteen eleven i take this from her bibles i believe she was a child of robust health of much vigor of body and beautifully formed arms until her last illness never was an hour in bed she was niece to mrs keith residing in number one north charlotte street who was not mrs murray keith although very intimately acquainted with that old lady as to my aunt and scott they were on a very intimate footing he asked my aunt to be the godmother to his eldest daughter sophia charlotte i had a copy of miss edgeworth's rosamond and harry and lucy for long which was a gift to marjorie from walter scott probably the first edition of that attractive series for it wanted frank which is also now published as part of the series under the title of early lessons i regret to say these little volumes have disappeared sir walter was no relation of marjorie's but of the keiths through the swintons and like marjorie he stayed much at ravelston in his early days with his great-aunt mrs keith we cannot better end than in words from this same pen i have asked you to forgive my anxiety in gathering up fragments of marjorie's last days but i have an almost sacred feeling to all that pertains to her you are quite correct in stating that measles were the cause of her death 
my mother was struck by the patient quietness manifested by marjorie during this illness unlike her ardent impulsive nature but love and poetic feeling were unquenched when lying very still her mother asked her if there was anything she wished oh yes if you would just leave the room door open a wee bit and play the land of the leal and i will lie and think and enjoy myself this is just as stated to me by her mother and mine well the happy day came alike to parents and child when marjorie was allowed to come forth from the nursery to the parlor it was sabbath evening and after tea my father who idolized this child and never afterwards in my hearing mentioned her name took her in his arms and while walking up and down the room she said father i will repeat something to you what would you like he said just choose yourself mattie she hesitated for a moment between the paraphrase few are thy days and full of woe and the lines of burns already quoted but decided on the latter a remarkable choice for a child the repeating of these lines seemed to stir up the depths of feeling in her soul she asked to be allowed to write a poem there was a doubt whether it would be right to allow her in case of hurting her eyes she pleaded earnestly just this once the point was yielded her slate was given her and with great rapidity she wrote an address of fourteen lines to her loved cousin on the author's recovery her last work on earth oh isa painted visit me i was at the last extremity how often did i think of you i wished your graceful form to view to clasp you in my weak embrace indeed i thought i'd run my race good care i'm sure was of me taken but still indeed i was much shaken at last i daily strength did gain and oh at last away went pain at length the doctor thought i might stay in the parlour all the night i now continue so to do farewell to nancy and to you she went to bed apparently well awoke in the middle of the night with the old cry of woe to a mother's heart my head my head three days of the dire malady water in the head followed and the end came soft silken primrose fading timelessly it is needless it is impossible to add anything to this the fervor the sweetness the flush of poetic ecstasy the lovely and glowing eye the perfect nature of that bright and warm intelligence that darling child lady nairn's words and the old tune stealing up from the depths of the human heart deep calling unto deep gentle and strong like the waves of the sea hushing themselves to sleep in the dark the words of burns touching the kindred chord her last numbers wildly sweet traced with thin and eager fingers already touched by the last enemy and friend morian's kennet and that love which is so soon to be her everlasting light is her song's burden to the end she sets as sets the morning star which goes not down behind the darkened west nor hides obscured among the tempests of the sky but melts away into the light of heaven end of section seventeen